T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go on the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. To get you the sports any way that he can. It's Mike Francis on the fan. Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN. All right, a little past six, we come your way on the fan and radio.com right up until seven. So a little bit of a change. We'll get to that in a minute after a beautiful day. About as nice a day as we've had this year. Uh, really, uh, a perfect day, and it's supposed to be a nice week. So don't knock it. We haven't had many. So it's supposed to be 75 tomorrow, 76 on uh, Thursday. And 80s into the weekend. So, I mean, it, it looks like we got some really nice weather finally coming our way. It's about time. That's a positive. Everything seems a little upbeat today. So, again, it's one of those days. We haven't had a lot of days where things have been very positive. Now, again, we don't know if this is going to last. We have no reason yet to be extremely positive about anything. We're still waiting to get some more. Def- I mean, listen, New York City's not even open yet. So we still, and even NASA Canada isn't open until tomorrow. So we have a lot of things still to work through. But you saw the stock market taking off because Merck now came up with some drugs that they're hopeful about. Now they were a little more, they were much more realistic with a timetable than the ones last week were, uh, saying it's going to take longer and they want to incorporate other drug companies into it. But they actually had three different things they were talking about, including a therapeutic that they've been working on. Uh, So maybe they're heading in the right direction. You're about to see some movement with the leagues. I mean, let's be honest. The NBA and the NHL have good relationships between owners and players. The Major League Baseball situation is anything but cordial. It's frosty to say the least. And while there's a proposal now floating around uh, that isn't one that will hurt them in terms of semantics, meaning there's no salary cap, there's no revenue sharing, they're still asking the players to take a real haircut. You're talking about the top players losing a lot of money all the way down where they cut the percentages based on how much you make. So it's a sliding scale. That's all it is. It's a sliding scale, and the, uh, and the biggest players are going to be asked to give back for the season over 60% of their salary. 
So they're not going to be too thrilled about that. So we'll see where that takes us. There's more on baseball in a second, but the NBA. Listen, I, I hear players talk about, well, we've got to play the whole regular season. They're not playing the whole regular season. Some teams have 18 games left. What are you, crazy? They might play a handful of games rather than use scrimmages to get the teams ready. They might even have a loser bracket to at least add a couple of teams to the playoffs. That's very feasible. If you're going to bring teams back, I agree with what Lillard said. Don't bring me back if I can't make the playoffs. I don't want to play if I can't make the playoffs. I agree with him. I don't want to come back if I can't make the playoffs. So you want to give them an opportunity to try to make the playoffs. It looks like there will be an opportunity for that. I mean, the NHL is going all the way to 24 teams. We know that. The uh, NBA is going to go past their regular number. It sounds like they may, add, they may finish up with four or five regular season games. Okay, That's a distinct possibility also. Just to use those games as games to finish up in a more scheduled way. They can't play the entire season, though. That's just not, it, it just takes too long. I mean, you're talking about they, some of these teams have 18 games left. So it, it just can't happen. But they're going to play. And it looks like you figure maybe both those leagues are in action by the middle of July. Maybe the latest part of July by the last. And then you have baseball. And one of the problems with baseball is there is just so much animosity and there's so little trust here that whatever proposal that the players are given, they don't believe it. And, and one of the reasons why is the Atlanta Braves. And remember, the Atlanta Braves are the one team that make their numbers public. Why? Because they're a publicly owned entity. So they have to make their numbers public. No one else, in, no one else sees anybody's books in baseball. Nobody sees all the revenue streams that teams have. The players never see all the revenue streams. They never see all the way that owners make money and teams make money. They never see everyone. They've asked for years to see the books. They won't let them. And the only one that has to do that is the Atlanta Braves. And what the players heard from the Atlanta Braves the last couple of years, they didn't like. They didn't like it from the, because it caused more distrust. The Atlanta Braves had $442 million in revenue in 2018 and $476 million in revenue in 2019. Now, not every club's run as well or has been as successful as the Atlanta Braves in recent years. I mean, and remember, on top of that, where they made very good revenue streams and profits without question in those two years. I mean, their payroll this year looks to be about $167 million, give or take. If it was a regular payroll. And then they have other money they're spending on other projects. So let's say they're spending $300 million. They still weren't making $100 million revenue, uh, profit last year. Even if they spent $300 million. But their revenues were four hundred forty-two in 2018, $476. So when they hear, when you, if they're going to calculate numbers like that and realize there's teams that are better and teams that are worse, they're not going to believe what they hear from these owners crying poverty. you got owners telling them, oh, we could lose all this money. We could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars a week and thousands and thousands of dollars a game. The players don't want to, they don't want to hear it. So they have a real issue there. I think they can get past the health issues. There's going to be a player or two that they probably can't win over. There might even be a player who doesn't want any part of it. But I do think they'll get past that. The question is where they are on this Economics, because there is such tremendous mistrust. 
And the Players Association has been itching for a fight for years. Only problem is they're under incredible pressure because you already know the NBA and the NHL are getting ready to come back. Baseball has much more of a civic responsibility to come back than either of those two sports do, and they cannot get their owners and their players to agree on anything economically. They come off as greedy billionaires and greedy millionaires. And you say billionaires when you talk about a team. Now, they might have more than one owner, but let's be honest. The Atlantic Braves is an example. Let's use them because we know the numbers. They were purchased for $400 million. They're worth at least $1.9 billion right now. That's a nice bit of change. The, the, the value has gone up in the last 12 years or so. So when people talk about year to year, they may not make a, pro- a big profit every year, but they don't have to because the appreciation of their franchise is enormous. And that has to be taken into account. So any way you look at it, the players don't believe. They have nothing but mistrust. They have nothing but animosity towards the owners. And it creates a situation in baseball that anything that's presented in and pretty, and it's not greeted. And again, as I said when we talked about this yesterday, don't choose sides. If you're a fan, if you're in the media, don't choose sides because what do you care? Why do you care where the money goes to the incredibly wealthy owners or the very wealthy players? What do you care? One of them's getting the money. You're not getting it. You're not saving it. It's not staying in your pocket. Either way, so why do you care which side gets it? Why choose up sides? Because for some reason, the average fan feels that the player is somehow way out in front and should be more giving than the owner. That the owner is the owner. And you can understand somebody owning the business, but you can't understand somebody playing for it and making $35 million a year. I don't know why that's the case, but it is. So that's why the fans always suit up for the owners rather than, and they always line up behind the owners much more than they do the players. And it's just something the players have to deal with. There is absolutely no way around that. One thing that, and you know any of these sports that are starting are starting without fans. You know that. There's nowhere that anybody has talked about there being fans at any of these games. I mean, you've heard Ohio State talk about when they thought maybe they could, in a 100,000-seat uh, building, put 20,000 fans in and do that by distancing them. But how about what the, they've talked about down in Florida? It's different. I could see it working for them economically on some days. It's not going to work for them for football, though, but I'm talking about Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami. They figure they can fit 240 cars and they're going to turn it into a drive-in. So think about this. You want to go see a concert at Hard Rock Stadium. Somebody who could fill the, whoever you think could fill the building. Bruce Springsteen, Taylor Swift, you uh, 2 or some new act that uh, could fill that building. I don't know who it is, but you might know who it is if there is one. Okay. The bottom line is, though, People think you can't have concerts. But how about if you had four to six people to a car? You can get 240, 250 cars in the building. You get food by ordering it on your phones. They'll deliver it individually to your car. They will open restrooms, which they will keep sanitized. And at least they would have a, I don't know how much they would charge per car, probably a good amount of money, but let's say it was a big event. 
or it was a big event they're showing on video. Now, I don't know what they would be showing on video. It wouldn't be a game, you know, because you wouldn't spend that money for a game you could watch at home. But let's say it was a concert that was going to be put on the stage, and you could get it driving there like an old drive-in and modernize it from that standpoint. Is it worth it? Eh, someone's going to look into it like Live Nation. Someone's going to look into it because at least it does work. It does get you a 1,000 people in one place safely. You know, it, it, could it work for a concert? I guess it could. You got to stay in your vehicle, but I guess it could. It's something different anyway. It shows these guys are thinking a little bit. Now, as I mentioned, uh, you may have seen it someplace or heard about it today on the fan. Uh, they came up with a new schedule. Asked me to change things up between now and when they hope baseball comes back, which they hope is early July like the 4th of July or maybe even, you know, four, or right, let's figure the 4th of July. So this is the plan until then. They asked me to do 6 to 7. So rather than come on Radio.com at 5 and the fan at 6, I will come on the fan and Radio.com simultaneously at 6 until 7 each night. Starting tonight, and I think JJ's on after me all the time. I don't think there was any other changes there in the day. I don't think they were. Uh, I didn't look, but I don't think so. But they asked me last week if I would do this for a month, and I said, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, listen, you try to be helpful this time when they're going through all this craziness. So if they come to you with something that's within reason, you try to help a little bit. So they asked me if I would do this. So that's going to be the setup every night. Monday to Friday from now on. And through the month of June, I'll also be doing the Sunday show from 9 until 1 that's on the fan and also on CBS Sports Radio. Um, so everything we do now will be on fanandradio.com at the same time. So it will be 6 to 7 each night. Uh, still brought to you by the good folks at Casamigos Tequila, as always. Brought to you by those who drink it. So our good friends at Casamigos are still the sponsor, as they've always been. It will give us a chance... I only had 20 minutes to work with most nights. So a couple minutes more, maybe 20 through 2, 23, depending on the day and the, and the spot load. But most of the time I had like 22. Um, gives me a chance to do more of a live interview if I want to at night, but it also gives me a chance to take some phone calls. So uh, rather than running through as we did so quickly in the half hour we were on the fan. So that's what we will do. Uh, most nights we will squeeze... We you know we're spotting you know, three or four times a week, but a lot of times we'll try to get some calls in too when we can, and we will tonight. We'll have time to do that in a couple of minutes so you can get aboard whenever you want, and we'll get some calls in in the, in the last half hour. So we have that coming up. Um, before I break, the until we play baseball, I will do um, the mail burning thing I started doing at the start of the year from the two Yankee legendary center fielders and switch hitters uh, where I chronicle whatever they did that date. Today for Bernie is May 26, 1997. One for five, a home run, but it was his eighth home run. He had 36 RBIs, which is a lot for Bernie at this point of the year. Usually a slow starter, and he was hitting 338, and what went on to be a very good year for him. So uh, that was Bernie's uh, 26th day of May. For Mickey, it was 1951. I think it's the first time we've used 51. Uh, and it went over the Philadelphia A's. Batting second, playing right field. Remember, they had a guy named DiMaggio still on the team in 1951. And Mickey uh, got off to a pretty good start that year because after this game where he, hit, he went two for three 
knocked in four runs. He had his third triple, and later on in his career, Mantle didn't hit a lot of triples because most of the time it was the ones that he hit long didn't last long, didn't uh, stay in the ballpark. And number two, he would crank it into a double and stay there. He didn't, once his knees started getting bad, he didn't get too many triples. But early in his career, he could fly, so he got some triples. He had three, this was his third triple of the year. He went two for three with uh, four RBIs, and he had 31 RBIs on the season. So here he was as a rookie, off to a very fast start. He then went into a tailspin. And then came back later in the year, and then the rest is history. But he did play this year with uh, Joe D and did spend his time in right field because Joe D was in center, except for when Mickey spilled him, spelled him, including the World Series where Mickey, on a ball hit by Willie Mays, got hurt trying to track the ball down, uh, and Joe called it off late, called the ball late, and Mickey tried to do a little bit of a veer to get away from the legendary uh, DiMaggio, and he uh, tore his leg up in the drain. Uh, so that happened later this season. But here he was off to a pretty fast start. The uh, the Yankee phenom, who was a baby in 1951, not yet 20 years old, 19 years old uh, at this time, this was 526, 1951, uh, four RBIs, a triple, and 31 RBIs on the season. So uh, off to a very good start at that time. Those are the numbers for the two uh, Yankee center fielders, the two players that never wore another uniform, and my two favorite players. So uh, we always mention that each day. So uh, as we said, a new format, JJ coming up at 7. We'll be here till 7. Calls we'll get to in a couple of minutes. So get aboard whenever you want. Back after this. I'll tell you one thing. First of all, I just heard that uh, PSA that I did for the station a while ago. I don't know if it still works because some of the areas that we're playing to are open now. So, I mean, it, it has changed. So I understand New York City's not open yet, but they may have to amend that because some of the areas are opening. Some are opening tomorrow. So little by little areas are opening. So things have changed. And, uh, again, here's what I, I say about it is, you know what? Use your smarts. Do what's, what makes sense. Be considerate of other people's health and smart about your own health. And do, it, and do what makes sense for you and your family and be smart. You know, Don't wait for somebody to tell you exactly what you have to do. Just do the right thing. You, you, use common sense. I mean, that's the one thing everyone should try and use is just common sense about what makes sense. Don't go out of your way and take unnecessary chances. Don't go out of your way and make the place a nuisance for other people. Just, you know what? Be considerate. And, you know, do what is, works for you. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had enough of reliving Jordan's uh, career. I don't need to see any more stories. I mean, the, the screaming headlines now about whether or not Jordan would have joined the Dream Team based on whether Isaiah was on the team or not. Who cares? You're talking about a million years ago. Who cares? It's 2020. They're old men. Who cares now about a squabble they had a million years ago? Just shows you to try and create a story. I mean, enough already. We watched Jordan. They did a nice job with it. Okay? It wasn't great. It was good. It filled a vacuum. That's what. We had a need. It served a need. It's a legendary figure. He's an incredible player. One of the greatest players in any team sport ever. There's no questioning any of that. Enough. Who cares about what happened in 1992? I mean, really, enough about the behind-the-scenes stuff about who cares. Who, who, you know, do you think I care whether you know, Horace Grant's upset about something? Or Dennis Rodman's upset about something? Or Isaiah Thomas is upset about something from 1992? I don't care. Enough. One thing, um, 
the golf. I don't know if you watched it. I hope you did. Now, you had to stay with it. If you're not a golf fan, I understand it. Maybe you didn't get into it. But if you stayed with it, it turned out to be a terrific event. It really did on a lot of levels. First of all, we, it just showed you how starved we are for any kind, I mean, any kind of good sporting event. Any game where we could actually you know, say, hey, two minutes left. Let's, this team's got to do this. This team's got to do this. This player's got to do this. What about that? We could actually sit through and, and watch a game and think through a game. It shows you how much we've missed that. Or, you know, bases loaded in the eighth inning of a tie game. I mean, just to get a chance to watch something like that again. So it just shows you how much we miss having sports day to day. The, you know, the quicker it can come back, the better because we, we do desperately miss it. But I'm watching this event. First of all, it gets off to a bad start because it's pouring rain. Okay, then I had to drive one of my kids somewhere, so I missed the first two holes. I come back in. Starting to rain, now it dissipates a little. They're playing the format, you know, they're playing their own ball for the first nine. And Brady can't, basically can't put the ball in. I mean, he can't do anything right. He is dreadful. I mean, he's embarrassing himself. And you could tell he was getting a little miffed. Brady has very little person. You see, first you're establishing the personalities for this thing, which you need. You need somebody to kind of say something because you don't have a lot of other things to fill up the time in between shots. So you know you got Phil who will talk. You know, he would talk and talk and talk. You know, he, he will talk all day and night. Then you have Peyton Manning, who's got a very good personality. He's funny. He's got something to say. He can make fun of everybody. He can make fun of himself. So he's good. Tiger's giving you nothing. Okay, he's going to hit the ball and move on. And Tom's not giving you much. But Tom is stinking the place up, okay, until, until Brooks Kepka comes in and then Charles challenges him and... He winds up putting the ball from the fairway. I know it was his fourth shot, but at least he put it in a hole and shut everybody up. He needed that shot. So the first nine, I got to admit, they make the turn. They're down three. It's not much of an event, okay? It's not very good at all. It's, it's slow. It's rainy. Brady's stinking the place up. Uh, it's just not very good. Then they go to the alternate shot. Now, I understand that it's not strict alternate shot, but it's liberal alternate shot. Okay, fine. For you golf purists, it's not alternate shot, okay? But it's close. It's a modifying shot. And that picked up everything. When, when Brady puts the ball, finally, you know, gets a little lift from finally making that shot where he can have a little, a little he can do a little squawking. He gets the hunter from Kepka. He shuts Charles up. And then... When Phil drives the par, the par four and Brady makes the eagle putt to bring them within two, from that moment, that thing was tremendous. It really was. I mean, Brady, all right, he wasn't great, but he did make a couple of, he did get a couple of drives in the fairway, which helped, especially when he was hitting his two iron. That seemed to help a lot. When he was hit, he didn't have a driver. He was either hitting a, some kind of hybrid or he was hitting the two iron. When he hit the two iron, he hit it pretty straight. 
Phil was typical Phil in that he's spraying the ball all over the place, but he's making enough great shots to keep himself in the mix. Peyton Manning wasn't great off the tee, but boy, I'll tell you, when he had an iron in his hand, he was dangerous. He was great on the par threes, and when he was hitting approach shots with his irons, I mean, he put them on the, on the green almost every time. Tiger was hitting every fairway, but it was kind of lackluster, to be honest with you, and didn't offer much personality. You know, the only fun thing he said was, you know, do you want one of my U.S. Open medals to market to Phil, which was a, a good one. But other than that, he really didn't say much. But how about when they, Tiger and Brady, Brady hits it in tight on the par, last par three. They're down one. And Phil hits it. Right inside Brady. I mean, they're basically in the same... They're both about three feet away. And then Peyton Manning puts it 18 inches away. I mean, what an amazing shot. I mean, what a tremendous job. And so they don't win the hole. I mean, they, you know, Peyton's got a... They get, he got a gimme. He's just 17 inches away from the hole. And... Phil makes the putt, and then on 18, it wasn't very exciting, but they kept it close. They made some good shots. Their banter was better. Give them credit for playing in the rain. They raised $20 million, and I thought the thing had its moments. I really did. I thought the back nine worked. I thought they did a good job. So I give them credit. I think they tried. I think they didn't complain about being out there in the rain like they were. I thought Manning did a really good job in what he had to do. I give Brady credit for hanging in there when he was like, you could tell, mortified by how he played the first six or seven holes. I mean, you know, at one point Barkley said, I'll give you 50 grand if you keep it on the planet. I mean, it was really, it was that bad. Uh, it, and, it, and you got Mickelson coaching Brady. I thought they did a great job. I really did. I thought Justin Thomas was good. I thought they, I thought it was a very, I thought the first Phil Tiger event, which Phil won, was awful. I thought this event, the back nine, the alternate shot for a lot of money for charity, four great champions, four iconic figures, I thought they did a really good job. I really did. I thought the event was a real positive. I, I give them a lot of credit. I give all involved a lot of credit. I thought they did a very good job with the event. So I, I give them credit. I really do. And uh, especially for, uh, for Manning and for Mickelson, because they went out of their way to save the event. Tom was quiet. Tiger was virtually, you know, silent. I mean, he hit every fairway. I mean, he put every ball on every – I don't think he missed a fairway the whole day. But it was Phil and it was Manning who went out of their way to kind of make the event work, and they did a good job. They really did. And then the golf picked up in the back nine. I, I really enjoyed it. I really did. And it just, you know what it made me realize is just how much you're dying to see a, a good Stanley Cup playoff game or a good, you know, NBA playoff game or even a big-time baseball game where, you know, somebody's got a 2-1 lead in the eighth inning, okay, uh, between two good teams or a big horse race, you know, the Derby or the Preakness or something like that. I mean, it just shows you how much we miss this stuff, not to mention the Masters or the U.S. Open or go down the list. But, hey, hopefully, hopefully, if we get a break here 
and things maybe bounce our way. I don't know if they will or they won't. No one does yet. No one knows what's going to happen, whether we're going to wind up with, you know, the virus making a comeback or maybe it's going to dissipate over the summer months. Who knows? We don't know. We just kind of, you know, cross our fingers and pray. But we're trying to move in the right direction. We're trying to bring everything back. And little by little, we're, we're starting to move in the right direction. You know, it's been grueling. It's been a tough couple of months. We all know it. You know, when I, I'm not saying that there isn't any more. I mean, we hope there aren't any more really bad days. Hopefully there aren't. We're going to all be optimistic. But, hey, at least, at least you can see today the sun was shining and there was a little reason for optimism. We sure haven't had too many days like that. Your calls when we come back. All right, we promised your calls. Here we go as we take you to the top of the hour. JJ coming up then. Uh, Tony in Hoboken starts us off. Tony. Hey, Mike. Great great to hear about the reformat. I'm excited to, to get more of you on the radio. Um, just wanted to let you know, I was down in uh, Port St. Lucie for the first time with my daughter back in February. Spring training, it was great just before they shut everything down. Uh, we went into hibernation, obviously, on, on baseball and everything else. Starting to kick the tires out, like you said, it's warm. People are starting to come out little by little. So I started to watch some baseball, old baseball, just to get, you know, just to get my toe back in the water. I put on Game Four. They're showing, you know, a lot of the, you can get stuff on demand now and with you, YouTube and all that stuff on TV. I watched Game Four of the '69 World Series, and it was so stunning to me. I, I mean, Seaver was before my time. I didn't really. I know he's a legend, and I have nothing but respect for him as a person, as, as a, for a lot of reasons, but. Watching him on the mound, Mike, was just so profound how dominant he was. He hit every spot. I mean, the guy just changed the culture of such a bad team. He walked in there, I guess, 67, 68 was his first year. 67. He turned around. 67, yeah. And it just, you could hear him talking. It was just losing was not an option for him. And he just he changed the team, changed the franchise, changed baseball in New York really you know, again, he wasn't an everyday player, and I know it's very hard for an everyday for a pitcher, a starting pitcher. No, he changed. Thanks, thanks for the call. He changed the franchise. There's no, there's no way fans are butts. It's, uh, it, the, say anybody, but Steve changed the franchise is just not true. Steve changed the franchise. He completely did. He 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 had a completely different attitude. They were no longer going to be anybody's laughing stock. They were going to start to win. There was no question about it. Um, he wasn't always the greatest postseason pitcher. You know, Kuzman. Was you know a lot of people thought Kuzman was a little more clutch in those games. Now Steve was the better pitcher. Kuzman pitched some great games, including Game Two of the series. He pitched an unbelievable game after Steve even got beaten Game One by the Orioles. Um, Steve was about as consistent a great pitcher. I've said this many times. The best pitcher I ever saw in my life was Sandy Koufax. I've never seen anybody as dominant. I got lucky enough to see him pitch in person. Uh, I was young, obviously, when it, when it happened, but I did get to see him pitch in person. But nobody was as dominant as Sandy. But Tom Seaver was as consistent. Now, am I going to tell you that he was better than Gibson or better than Marischal or guys like that? No, he wasn't. But he was as good and he was incredibly consistent. He was as professional as you could possibly be. Uh, he was a, if you want to compare him to anybody, he was a better version of Clemens is what he was. Clemens was great, but uh, Stephen was even a better version of Clemens. 
Um, Tom and Massapequa, what's up, Tom? Yeah, hey, Mike, how you doing? What's happening? Uh, just to go back to the just to go back to the golf for a minute, you know, and obviously we're all so desperate to get back to to sports in whatever way possible. So I mean, I, I was watching the golf this weekend, and I and I tuned in a little bit late, and I turned it on. It was about a minute before Brady makes that ridiculous shot from like 120 yards out that goes right, home, right? Yeah, and um, you know, listen, I have no love for Brady, I'm a Jets fan, right? But I let out the, the biggest yell you, you could have imagined. And my, my wife comes running into the room, what, what, what? And it was just that pent-up, you know, three months worth of... Well, he was angry. I mean, the amazing thing about Brady was Brady was mad. I mean, Brady didn't like them making fun of him. He was upset. He, had been, he started to get a little upset around the fourth hole. Around the fifth hole, he's mad, and he gets there, and he hits the shot before that out of bounds. And now... You know, Charles makes the, 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 the remark about, I should have put it, made it 50,000 that you keep it on a planet. And he, he tweaked back at Charles, hey, I thought this was a champion's event. What are you doing here kind of thing, okay? But Brady was mad. You could tell. And then he turns around and puts the ball in the hole. And you know what? Doing that from anywhere on a golf course is rare, okay? The fact that he put the... And he stunk that day. He played terribly. I mean, he didn't play like an 8 handicap. He played like a 28 handicap. But the point is, he made that shot. And you could tell how angry he was when he made it. It just... It, it was almost like he willed it. It was, it was amazing. And then later on, when he hit that great shot on the par 3... I was like, you know, so he did make a couple of shots late, but you actually saw Brady was, it just shows you the amount of pride they have. Brady was embarrassed. And, you know, Peyton Manning said that he was incredibly nervous playing that that match because he didn't want to do badly. And, you know, uh, it meant a lot to those guys. And they know they're a little out of their element, and they don't want to embarrass themselves. And you could tell that Brady was was upset. He was upset what Brooks Kepka wrote. He was upset what uh, Charles Barkley said. And he turns around and gets his moment. And it, it was uh, you're right. I think America yelled when he put the ball in the, uh, in, in the hole uh, because it was, you know, you were living with Brady, and thanks for the call on that minute and he puts it in the hole and i tell you the ratings for that thing were very good as you would expect there wasn't that much going on but the ratings were very very good and i thought listen i thought through nine holes it was terrible the only moment was brady making the uh shot from the fairway to get any you know get the birdie on he it was his fourth shot he put it in the hole on the par five all right, it, it, that was the moment of the first nine holes. And then after that, when he made the eagle putt for Phil, that got them back in the match. All of a sudden, the match started to be fun. It really started to be fun. They started to hit better shots. And then they hit some great shots on the last par three, which really made things uh, much more interesting. I mean, I, uh, I don't know who, who said it. One of the announcers said, can you imagine that? Uh, what would you have bet that Tiger Woods would be the farthest from the hole on the par on the par three? And he was by far the farthest from the hole. The other three hit it in close. I mean, really close. Three feet, three feet, uh, four, uh, three feet, three feet, and, and seventeen inches. I mean, so I, I thought it did a great job. I, I, and it it just it, you're right. It showed you how much we miss. You miss sports. And you miss having events and, and having moments. And that at least gave you a couple of moments. I know a couple of times we were cheering and stuff like that, which, you know, we haven't done for a sporting event in a long time. Um, Bob and Monticello, go ahead, Bob. Uh, let's see. Fitz, go ahead, Fitz. 
Hello? Hey, Mike. Yes, this fits. Hey, hey, yeah, how's it going? Good, what's up? Hey, you know, we're all talking about moments and getting sports back, and here's horse racing back in the spotlight, and we hear the news yesterday, Swift hitter on Twitter breaks it, that Baffert tests positive with Charlton and Nadal, his two superstar horses. Just wondering if you had any thoughts. My thoughts is, you know what, he should go, if if they have him, if they caught him, it's not the first time he's been accused, he should go down. I mean, they need to clean the sport up. Uh, any of the, anybody cheats in that sport, take him down. That's, that, 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 is, that is my opinion. As a horse owner, I would not be with a trainer. If, I, if a trainer cheats, I'm out, okay? That's all there is to it. Um, that, and any of these trainers, they get caught. They should be suspended. They should they should be uh, reprimanded to the fullest extent of the law. That sport, listen, no sport can survive cheating. Everyone understands that drugs are a big problem in all sports. They're obviously going to be a problem in a sport with animals because it's a, they're a problem with the sports with humans. So they're going to be a problem. So they have to police it. And if Baffert did it, I saw the story. Uh, I don't know enough about it yet, but if he did it, Fitz, you know what? Take him down, and that's all there is to it. And I understand he's Bob Baffert. I understand he's got a lot of horses and a lot of prestige. doesn't matter. If he did it, take him down, and the sport will be fine without him. It will, we'll all get by it at the uh, Derby or at uh, the Preakness or at any of the Triple Crown races without Bob there if Bob's cheating. So the bottom line is uh, if he did it, and they can prove it, they take them down. That's all there is to it. Thanks for the call. Guy j- joins us. What's up, Guy? Hey, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what's uh, happening? Long, long time, second time. Been listening to you since back, gosh, 87, when WFN came on the air. Talked to you once in 2005 about Lamont Jordan, of all people. Okay. Uh, I love that you're doing all the Bernie stuff. He was my guy. I'm 46. I remember going to see him for $7 bleach receipts in 91. I'm wondering... I know he doesn't have the numbers to get in. I know there's a lot of guys who probably we all think should be in the Hall of Fame and aren't, but I'm wondering over time, I mean, his impact being the rock of those teams. I remember going through so many years of just awful teams. I was so happy they kept him. Wondering what you think his chances are of getting in eventually. Never. He's never going to get. Listen, um, and thanks for the call, guy. I appreciate it. Um, Bernie Williams is my second favorite player of all time. I only had, only had two heroes in my life. Okay, Mickey Mantle and JFK. I've never had another. Okay, never, never had another uh, idol. Mickey Mantle was my idol growing up. That was it. Uh, I mean, that I, I, the sun uh, rose and set on Mickey Mantle for me. Um, my other was JFK. Uh, Bernie Williams became my favorite player when he came to the Yankees. I took a liking to him early on, even before I knew him. Uh, and he was already years in, a couple, a couple of years in, before I really got to know him well. Okay, I've gotten to know him very, very well. And I don't have a lot of player friends, but he's one of the players I am friendly with. I mean, we don't, we don't hang out together that much, but we've done a million charity events together. We've done a million events together. If he calls me for something, I do it. If I need him for something, he does it. Bernie and I have a wonderful relationship we have for many, many years. And he's a class individual. He's done a ton of charity work. He's a, and uh, what I like about Bernie is Bernie has always... He's always played the game with a smoothness, almost like a 
you know, it's funny. He has a second career in music and in jazz. And that's how he played the game. Because the bigger the game, the smoother he was, the calmer he was, and the better he played. Bernie is not a Hall of Famer. He doesn't have a Hall of Fame career. He had some wonderful moments. He won a batting title. He won multiple gold gloves. He had incredible big moments. If you go through the history of postseason games, now a big part of it is because he and Derek Jeter and Manny Ramirez have played in the most postseason games because they have coupled World Series with all the other postseason layers now of of the postseason, and they've played in the most games. So if Derek G doesn't hold the record, Bernie Williams holds the record. And if Bernie Williams doesn't hold the record, then uh, then uh, most likely, most likely one of the big Red Sox sluggers holds the record. And Bernie is right there. He's second in home runs, and he's first in doubles, and he's first in RBIs, and he's second in runs scored, and go down the line. And he had so many big hits. And, you know, he's only one of two guys to have two walk-off postseason home runs in history. The only one, other one is Big Poppy. It's a very rare event, obviously, to even have one. He's had two. Big Poppy had two. Uh, Bernie brought a class and a clutch and a smoothness to the sport. And he had a great career. When you patrol Yankee Stadium for 16 years and play center field, which is center field for the Yankees is as big a position as there is in sport, and then play it on the level and win as much as they did. When Bernie was in the, in the major leagues, for the time he was in the major leagues, he won more games than anybody in the major leagues. In later years, he might have been surpassed in the last year or so by Jeter with that number. I'm not sure. But at the time that they gave it, late in Bernie's career, Bernie had played in more winning games than anybody who had played in the major leagues over the time that Bernie had been in the majors. So think about that. Think about how important winning is and realize that when the day ended, Bernie had played in more winning baseball games than anybody. And then as a matter of fact, on the time Mickey was in the majors, he played in the most winning games because... Uh, when he sat out, the Yankees didn't have a habit of winning that much, and he played in it also during that time period. So, I mean, you can always cut it up with Yankee years based on who comes in what year, but it just, obviously, being a Yankee gives you a, a, a leg up, but that's a great honor when you think about it. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's had a great career, a career that he shouldn't want to give back for anything because when you win and you do it in New York – and you do it with the style and the grace and the clutch. And when you retire, and what they say is that you're a fan favorite and that you did it with great class, great dignity, and you are always bigger than the moment, that's all they can ever say about you in your career. They can't say anything better. Have there been better players? Absolutely. Were there better Yankees? Absolutely. Were there anybody any more clutch or any more class? Not a chance. He brought a great dignity to those Yankee teams, and he will be fondly remembered in Yankee annals forever. And that's, you know, really what he brought. Great enjoyment to me through those years. He got so many, so many big hits. All right, Casamigos Tequila, as always, uh, brings you the program, brought to you by those who drink it. Um, again, as we told you, we'll be doing 6 to 7 on fan and radio.com each night. So 6 o'clock straight up. We'll come on the fan, and we'll come on Radio.com. Same time, you can get us in either place, Radio.com or on WFN, 6 to 7 each night. JJ, 
Uh, we'll pick it up at 7. We'll follow Joe and Evan, then right into JJ. Uh, and it'll stay this way until baseball comes back in early July. Hopefully, it looks like, keep our fingers crossed that that'll happen. It's not 100% yet, but I, I feel they won't disappoint. I really feel that'll be the case. Let's be optimistic about it. So uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy what should be a beautiful day. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.